and a very warm welcome to Talking Flutes from a very warm south coast of England. I have three questions to answer for you today. The first is from Jane Barnes, who lives in Manchester in England, and she writes, Have you ever played in a small flute group, and how did you manage to get along without falling out? I'm in a group of five, and it's difficult. Well, Jane, yes, I have played in a small flute group many years ago called Bamboozle, which was five flutes with bass and drums. And it was the most fun I'd ever had. I love the music we played, a crossover between jazz and classical, and we played throughout the UK and Europe. Being part of a group makes travelling so much more enjoyable rather than being on your own. There were differences, not always musical ones, but as soon as we were on stage playing, it all seemed pretty perfect. At that time, there was very little repertoire and we arranged much of our music. We also took quartet pieces and added either a bass or an alto flute. There was a great deal of expense involved in creating our own repertoire, but we managed to have enough for at least two complete programmes. So our repertoire included classics like Rachmaninoff's Vocalese, Paganini's Motor Perpetuo, many works by Bill Holcomb, arrangements of pieces by Gershwin, Herbie Hancock, Scott Joplin, Glenn Miller. We also programmed two works by William Scheinstein, Rock Trap and Bossa Nova, which were without flutes. These were fabulous rhythm pieces using clicks, foot taps, leg slaps and whistles. Great fun and very popular with our audiences. I've also played in many other chamber music groups over the years, and each group has its own pros and cons. I think whenever you get together a group of people, there are going to be differences of opinion. There are also going to be strong and weaker characters. You definitely learn how to manage working these groups as you get more experience. Basically, you need to respect everyone's opinion, but still be able to make decisions, whether musical ones or practical ones. Something that could work for you is to designate one player to run each rehearsal and decide the timetable and repertoire for that session. Each player then has the chance to take control and have some input, and also means they have to do some planning. Delegate all the jobs that need doing, from writing emails or letters, to organising rehearsals, concerts, travel arrangements, programme planning, programme notes, and of course thank you notes. Sometimes it's easy to let the one energetic, enthusiastic member do all the running. In the long term, this doesn't work. You can't expect just to turn up and play in rehearsals and concerts without having helped in some way. So I hope that helps, Jane, and good luck with your group. The next question is, how do you get that large sound in the lower notes without it seeming that you're forcing it? And this is from Jane Katovia from the United States. Well, the simple answer, Jane, is to stay relaxed. By that I mean, keep your embouchure relaxed and let your tummy muscles push the air out. The majority of players who lose the volume in the lower register either tense or tighten their embouchure, drop their head, or turn the flute in as they go down. All of these techniques stifle the sound and alter the pitch. So tension is the number one culprit in stopping the low register sound. We're not always aware that we are tense. How often have you practiced well at home 
only to go to a lesson and then struggle to find the same sounds. When you're anxious or tense, muscles tighten and the result is suppressed sounds. So in this case, less effort creates better results. The other uh, common problem is leaky pads. So do make sure that your flute is working well and maybe check with your teacher. So how to practice. In your tone exercises, start on a mid-range note, for example, A or B. Pick a note that you know is secure. The better your tone in the upper low register, the better it will be in the lower end. Gradually work your way down chromatically, two or three notes at a time. Keep these exercises legato. Don't confuse them by using articulation. Be aware of your embouchure muscles. Keep them in the same shape. Don't be tempted to blow harder and faster, which can make the note split. Keep your head still and be careful not to cover the mouth hole more than a quarter or a third. As you play going down the low register, don't let your head move downwards with the pitch. Try slightly dropping your jaw to hear what difference that makes to the sound. You do need to experiment and teach yourself what works and what doesn't work. Practice in front of a mirror so that you can see what's happening with your embouchure. This isn't a quick learning process. It does take years of consistent practice, but this low register work gives you a solid foundation on which to build the upper registers. On to our next question. And this is from Diane McCready, who asks, would you consider doing a podcast on all things alto flute? The benefits, drawbacks of straight and curved heads, tips when changing from C flute to alto flute, such as balancing it, changes to posture, breathing, embouchure, articulation, tuning, etc. Also, will playing alto have a positive impact on your C flute playing, developing your breath control and physically handling a bigger and heavier instrument? In other words, could playing C flute feel easier if you play on your alto first? Well, there's a lot to answer here. Let's begin with some basic information about the alto flute. It has a larger diameter than the C flute and is pitched in G. This means that it is a transposing instrument. If you finger and play the note C on an alto, it will sound G a fourth lower. If you're tuning up on an alto, finger middle D, which results in the common tuning note A. If you want to play a piece on alto that has been written for C flute, it needs to be played a fourth higher. So, a piece in C major for concert flute would be written a fourth higher, which is F, and the key signature would have one flat, making it F major. I've always found that I understood the concept better when I had both flutes in my hands, so as to do an immediate comparison between the two. Let's move on to head joints, curved or straight. It can simply depend on the size of the player. For example, whether your arms are long enough to reach the keys on a straight head joint. So a curved head joint brings the keys closer and your hands and arms feel in a similar position to that of the concert flute. There is a compromise with the curved head in that it does affect the intonation in the third octave, but luckily in most traditional pieces you're generally not playing that high. The straight head joint doesn't have the same intonation issues, 
but is more tiring to play because of the extra length. It's best to try out both options before buying, so you know what suits you best. Setting up the curved head joint needs getting used to, as the mouth hole tends to sit higher than the body of the flute, and then tilt it towards you. Once you do have the head joint correctly positioned, then you apply the same three balance points as used on the C flute. The alto is becoming very popular at the moment because of the flute choir repertoire, and also through social media and high-profile players, such as Jose Valentino, Stephen Clark, Elsa Nielsen and Giovanna Perez. And as a result, the repertoire for alto is expanding rapidly. There is now so much choice in terms of your alto flute. It could be silver, silver-plated, copper-coated or black nickel. I'm the proud owner of a black-plated Trevor James alto which is not only a beautiful looking instrument, but plays so easily and freely. The Trevor James Alto was the winner of the Best Woodwind and Brass Instrument at the awards of the UK Music Industry Association. Have a look at their dedicated alto and bass website, which is an easy and simple address to remember, www.altoandbass.com. Balancing the alto comes with practice. Posture is the same as the C flute, but be careful when getting tired that the flute doesn't droop down. Take plenty of rests as you get used to the instrument. The fingerings on the alto are exactly the same as the concert flute. The embouchure hole is larger, so it requires more air. At first you have to experiment with the air speed and direction to get used to the change in the size. Because of the length of the flute, the response is slightly delayed, so you need to anticipate, especially when articulating. Playing alto can, I think, help when changing back to C flute because the C flute feels so much lighter and easier to play. Alternate your practice between the two to get comfortable with the change. There are specific books for learning the alto and I'd recommend having a look at Chris Potter's book which is called The Alto Flute Method and that has all the information you might need. So hopefully I've answered all your points, Diane. I'd like to play you a little extract from a beautifully evocative alto flute piece called My Mountain Top, written by Andy Scott and played here by the ever fabulous Paul Edmund Davis.
What a wonderful piece of music and so beautifully played. So thanks for listening and to all of you sending in questions. Lots more to answer in a few weeks' time. You can find us on our social media pages. For Twitter and Instagram, it's at Claire Flute and at Flute. And for Facebook, find us on our own Talking Flutes page. Or you can write to us, flutepodcasts at gmail.com. I'm off to sit on the beach now as it's 25 degrees outside and I think a dip in the sea is needed. I do hope you're having a great summer wherever you are. Happy fluting. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.